shining a light on Illinois state government. Good morning. This is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. This is your host, Trent Nelson. And as per usual, we have our lovely guest, CEO and president of the Better Government Association. His name is David Grising. That has not changed since last we spoke to him. How are you this morning, sir? Doing well, Trent. Thanks very much. Hope you're well, too. I'm doing as well as can be expected. It is muy frío, as they say in certain parts of the world. It's very cold, and uh, we're all trying to stay warm, as I'm sure you are up where you are, but we will get going because we have lots to get to. The new General Assembly session is set to get going, and of course, there is a slimmer agenda, uh, as is not uncommon during election years, but what can you tell us, sir, about those programs, those bits of legislation that are being discussed, and what programs might not be gone from the last several sessions? Well, I think the issue that's on many people's minds as we look to the spring session is the migrant situation, especially given that the Democratic Convention in August will create an opportunity for Governor Greg Abbott of Texas to try to create chaos in Chicago, and also because the governor and Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson have not necessarily been aligned around exactly what to do and how to do it. There is funding available to cover the near-term needs, but additional funding would be required from the state if this problem persists longer term, which it seems to be likely. So um, that, while is not yet taking shape as a legislative proposal, we would expect to see um a substantial amount of money set aside in the governor's budget address next month. And it's certainly going to be a topic of discussion in the halls of Springfield uh, through the course of this spring session. And, sir, we have, of course, spoken on this topic several times previously. Oftentimes, the discussion veers into the area of why is not the federal government doing more? Do we have any sense as per what the governor's administration might look to do to gain some attention. Of course, we're going to speak about the letter that he wrote to Texas Governor Greg Abbott shortly. But as we've noted, this is certainly a federal issue, and yet the feds seem as quiet as church mice, sir. Yeah, and it's odd because um, it's an issue that is hurting uh, President Biden politically as the 2024 presidential campaign takes shape, and yet his administration has yet to really intervene in any serious way. As you mentioned, Governor J.B. Pritzker is trying to communicate with the Texas governor about this all, but that's, again, at the state level. There are actions the federal government could take, specifically finding ways to help asylum seekers gain employment. Let's remember, asylum seekers are here legally. They have paperwork. These are not undocumented immigrants. They have documentation. It's just a matter of facilitating their ability to work while they're here. And also the transportation that is happening is interstate commerce, which opens the door for federal intervention. It seems like the Biden administration has its hands full at the border itself, and then that's where they're focusing on. But this is creating significant problems in Chicago, New York, and Denver as well as sporadically in other places around the country as well, 
And so it remains a complete mystery, but one that remains unresolved, which was with regard to why the administration has not taken action as regards the transport of migrants to sanctuary cities. Yeah, it's absolutely very, very, as you noted, strange and peculiar circumstance. But Governor Greg Abbott seems not to be too concerned with uh, with our concerns as it regards interstate commerce, because one of his recent responses to New York Mayor Eric Adams essentially attempted to pour cold water on the current lawsuit that is filed in New York against the bus companies moving these individuals from Texas to New York. So again, there's a lot here, but one struggles to understand why and how the interstate commerce clauses, they're quite famous if we go back into history, as being points of contention. It's amazing that the federal government is not doing more with this obvious bad faith innovation. There are different and probably better ways to accomplish what the Texas governor is attempting to, and we will continue to appraise this situation with the president and CEO of the Better Government Association, David Greising, as it continues to evolve, which we are sure it will. But before we get to some other matters, we want to finish up with the Illinois General Assembly. Tell us about the Invest in Kids program and why it still has a bit of life in it after a hard several sessions. Right. Invest in Kids is a tax credit program for people who give money to private schools for the purpose of creating scholarships for private school uh, students. It is vehemently opposed by the labor movement in particular because they see it as, per se, creation of a voucher program, and they see voucher-type programs as a threat to their future, their growth especially, since many private schools do not have union workforces. And so Invest in Kids, which was a an experiment introduced under Governor Bruce Rauner, expired at the end of the calendar year and was not renewed. And so that tax credit that people get for the purpose of creating these private school scholarships is gone. And it will not come back unless there is action in the legislature to bring it back. And based on what we're hearing, there's not a lot of sentiment or that there's support in the Republican caucus, but the Republican caucus alone cannot get something done. There is some support for the idea from downstate Democratic legislators, but the opposition to it in northeastern Illinois among Democrats and elsewhere is strong enough that it seems unlikely that this program will be renewed this year. Fascinating stuff. And of course, we would just love to clarify for our listeners that the Invest in Kids program, and please correct us if we are incorrect, sir, the Invest in Kids program is, as you noted, a tax voucher reimbursement program to varying degrees, is it not? The people who give the money right. uh, to the program to help fund it would get tax credit. Right. And the students who get scholarship, they just receive a scholarship that helps them cover the cost of private school tuition. And the in practice, this has not achieved this sort of equity impact that was hoped for in terms of opening up private school as an option for especially people of color. Roughly half of the recipients of these scholarships are not people of color. And the critics of the program besides their own vested self-interest in uh, maybe protecting union teacher jobs, 
also point to the shortcomings on the equity agenda uh, as another reason to not renew that program. Absolutely. And we wanted to clarify in part because uh, since it is simply part of a program that, uh, as you noted, uh, gives tax credits to individuals who uh, who donate money towards these scholarships, um, all of those people can still do that, and they just simply will not get tax credits back, but uh, they will, in fact, still be able to. No, sir? Well, yes, um, they can They can do that. Of course, people who give money for philanthropic reasons, typically one of the benefits of doing so, besides the fact that they're achieving some sort of good for society, is that they get tax benefit for doing so. Absolutely. And, uh, of course, this is a topic that we will also continue to uh, appraise and watch as this new Illinois General Assembly session is kicked off. We have to ask ourselves before we continue, however, what is more important, tax credits or providing children a chance to achieve real greatness for our society? Now, sir, we're going to move over to the United States Supreme Court, sir. And they have, from what I understand, they've refused to consider one case challenging Illinois' assault weapons ban, but doesn't necessarily mean that they will not take all of the challenges. What can you tell us about that, sir? Yes, the case that the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear was one that has been brought by Republican State Rep Dan Calkins of Decatur, sought the Supreme Court to weigh in on an effort to declare the assault weapons ban illegal. Uh, the court refused to hear that without any comment, so we don't really know what their thinking was. That said, there is another case that is expected to go before the court later on this year, brought by the National Association for Gun Rights, which argues broadly that the Illinois assault weapons ban violates the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the Gun Rights Amendment. And we would expect that this group would get a hearing in the Supreme Court this year, and the future of the assault weapons ban remains very much in the balance. Very much in the balance. We know that this is a major issue. There are opponents and proponents upstate and downstate Illinois. just depends on where you live and we'll certainly be keeping our eyes on the United States Supreme Court. They have been relatively busy over the last few days refusing to consider certain cases and of course this being one of them we'll keep our eyes and ears peeled for yeah. all, all of that news. And just just to be specific Trent in, in this particular matter the gun rights group lost a ruling at the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals last year late last year. Right. Their appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court is not yet filed. And so we don't even know if the court will take the case. If there's sort of an expectation that they may. But um, again, the Supreme Court remains quite a mystery to those of us here uh, out in the uh, broader uh, society. It is a, uh, what's the quote? It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside of an enigma. I believe that's what Winston Churchill said. It's something yeah. something special. And, uh, and we'll just try to keep on divining what's going to happen with you, sir. David Greising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association, here with us on Full Disclosure with your host, Trent Nelson. We're going to take a quick break because everybody needs to take a deep breath. And then we'll be right back. And we've got several more wonderful points of discussion before we let Mr. Greising and everyone else get on with their day. Shining a light on Illinois state government. 
This is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. This is your host, Trent Nelson, and we are, of course, joined, as we always are, by the president and CEO of the Better Government Association, David Greising. And we have had a wonderful discussion so far. We have spoken about uh, how the new General Assembly session is kicked off and lots of different things to discuss. Of course, it is a slimmer agenda with the election year in the near distance, but immigration and migrants, as well as the Investing Kids program, are just two of the topics that we've had the chance to go through so far. The United States Supreme Court, always an interesting chat there, as well as Illinois Governor Pritzker's letter to Greg Abbott, which is, of course, in relation to the state's practice of busing individuals and families coming across the southern border to places like New York and Illinois and Colorado, and in fact, others as well. But we have more to get to. Governor J.B. Pritzker, he wasn't only writing letters to his Texas counterpart recently, he went to Iowa. And while many of us have gone to Iowa, he likely had more serious reasons than many of us do. So what can you tell us about his recent trip and what he accomplished on it? Well, I I think that the trip to Iowa, which was timed on the day of the caucus to try to get out the vote to perhaps reduce former President Donald Trump's margin of victory, but really, frankly, just to cast some political shade on all the Republican candidates. Governor Pritzker was happy to sign up for that. I guess the thinking among the Biden campaign would be that a governor from a neighboring state might get a sympathetic hearing. Others who went included Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota and oddly Jeffrey Katzenberg, the Hollywood mega donor and movie producer. I'm not sure what he has in common with Iowans. Maybe he comes from Iowa. I have no idea. But in any event, um, uh, Governor Pritzker went there. He, you know, he made some noise about the fact that the three candidates basically were indistinguishable from each other and tried to kind of put out a call for people to be supportive of the Democratic agenda. I think this was probably geared as much toward national discussion, such as the one you and I are now having, as opposed to trying to change any minds in Iowa, because based on the result yesterday, it looks like if the purpose was to try to... Uh, dim the luster of a former President Trump's vote in Iowa, I don't think it had much effect. It was always going to be difficult for uh, for that light to be dimmed in Iowa. That was, of course, a state that the former president has been very bullish on. Um, New Hampshire, uh, he has a bit of a more narrow gap, but Iowa, he was very much excited about. And And it is a positive thing that Governor Pritzker went, uh, even if, as you noted, he may not have accomplished an incredible amount. It is uh, always good to voice the opposition views. We enjoy that no matter from where they come from. It is always good to hear uh, other sides because then we can have a proper discussion and we can try to uh, flesh out Uh, which parts are disagreeable to us, which parts are disagreeable to our democracy, and which ones are, in fact, agreeable to both. So, sir, and by the way, we're going to look up, hopefully for next time, we'll have a bit of information about uh, Hollywood megadonor relationship to Iowa. That is a fascinating (laughs) point of discussion. But we will move on to our final point, sir. Chicago Democratic Convention organizers, as the presidential Democratic Convention is later this year. The organizers have announced hotels as 
choose Chicago CEO bows out and perhaps won't be easy to replace ahead of the August convention. Can you break that down for us, sir, for those who maybe aren't as knowledgeable as per this specific circumstance? What is the situation for Chicago Democrats and their allies? Yeah, we now know the two main downtown hotels, both of them in the huge McCormick Place complex, the Marriott Marquis Chicago and the Hyatt Regency at McCormick Place. Those are both under the umbrella of the McCormick complex. And what it tells you is that while there has been a lot of lip service given to getting conventioneers out across the city of Chicago, there's also an effort underway to concentrate where the key groups, the Biden campaign and the Democratic National Convention Committee will have their offices. And so this is fits into the larger context of just what will the impact of this convention be in terms of Chicago and its reputation, really the reputation of our state as well? Will it be a relatively smooth affair? Will convention goers be distracted by outside activity? By concentrating where people stay, There, it, it, it enables the convention organizers to keep a better lid lid on the impact of any uh, outside demonstrations, et cetera. Um, but then that's done at the cost of reducing access to these convention goers. And so the convention organizers will need to be wary of that as well. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating topic. And the first thing that the host of this program thinks of when he hears this is and correct me if if there are uh, more dissimilarities than similarities, but the 1968 Democratic National Convention in the state of Illinois, in the city of Chicago, with then-Mayor Daley, and the amount of work that was done at that point to, as you noted, sir, try to sequester convention-goers, keep them away from some of the parts that perhaps the city was not as proud of at that time. What does this whole appearance, what does it look like to you, sir? Well, certainly the 68 convention always comes to mind for um, those of us who, who've been around long enough to remember that convention. Let's not forget, though, that since then, Chicago also hosted the 1996 Democratic convention, right. which went off almost without a hitch. And so it's not as if Chicago is uniquely capable of, of holding a convention that only would be disastrous. I think some of the lessons that were learned in 68 have taken root, not just in Chicago, but across the country, about how to control crowds, et cetera. And there have been other conventions that went awry, like the 1972 convention in Miami yes. was also a bit of a mess. So, you know, we've done one since then that, that worked, 96, and based on... What I see of the work that's being done up front, I have a feeling this convention organizing committee will have things pretty well in hand. Absolutely. And of course, uh, President and CEO David Greising of the Better Government Association, we appreciate the history lesson. 1972's national convention was also a bit wacky, as you noted. I believe that Gore Vidal and William Buckley had a debate at that one, which also famously went a little bit left. But we digress. And there was, there was also, let's not forget, one of the big uh, lowlights or highlights, depending on your perspective, was the battle for who from Chicago, from Illinois, would be credentialed at that convention. And it was <laughs> Jesse Jackson 
and a number of liberals up against Mayor Richard J. Daley right. and a, a more old-line crowd. And, and so I guess Chicago does have a way of making a mess of conventions one way or another. <laughs> well, as you noted, sir, each experience we have properly should be considered a lesson. Whether it went swimmingly or there were some bumps in the road, we learn from these and we improve. And as you noted, sir, the last time that the great city of Chicago hosted the Democratic National Convention, it was easy sailing. So we suspect that it will be positive this time as well. Of course, lots of people coming to the great state of Illinois, and there'll be many people who have not been to Chicago in some time, and they are likely to be surprised at what a beautiful city it really is, despite what factions of the news media would like to say. But that is neither here nor there, sir. David Greising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association, we appreciate you coming and hanging out with us as you do each and every week. And we're looking forward to having our very same discussion with you on our regular day next week. Sounds good, Trent. Thanks very much. See you next week. The pleasure is all mine. And sir, as always, before we let you go, our listeners, they need to know where they can read more where they can learn more from the Better Government Association. Right. Our news website is IllinoisAnswers.org. That's the Illinois Answers Project website. And our policy work appears on BetterGov.org. That's the BGA policy website. You heard it here first, folks. If you'd like to learn, if you're yearning for the learning, as we often say, there are two more places where you can go educate yourself and those you care for. It is a marvelous innovation, of course. President and CEO of the Better Government Association, David Greising, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you, Trent. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Shining a light on Illinois State Government. This is Full Disclosure with your host, Trent Nelson, speaking to, as always, David Greising, the president and CEO of the Better Government Association. We look forward to speaking with him next time, and we look forward to hanging out with you all next time. Catch you soon.